Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Happy Monday to one and all and welcome into the Zunia Tequila Studios for our MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a great show for you today. As many of you guys heard from my podcast, College Hoops Overtime Betting, Jeff Nadu always provides good info, and he's going to be joining me here on the MLB podcast quite a bit. He's going to be joining me in the second segment today. Going to break down a couple of games on today's slate, talk a little bit of general things that we're noticing throughout the season as well, so that's going to be fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. Now, please do note a couple of these games are currently off the board, but I'm going to give you everything that I can, and I'm going to give you everything I can in regards to your Twitter questions as we got a couple of them, so let's get right to it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. This one comes in from Jeremy Sellers, who you can find on Twitter at JeremySellers16 at GNRSquare D1. When capping, what is your deciding factor when it comes to money line or run line? It's a couple of different things. For one, you have to take a look at the actual value that you're going to be getting in regards to the money line or the run line. There are some spots where you're going to be essentially getting even money on the money line, but that run line is like plus 175. That is great value right there. You're maximizing your value on that team. That's always big. And you obviously have to note, do you think the game is going to be a one-run game or not? Because there are some games like 
the Padres versus the Reds on Sunday that I thought could be very close since I thought it was going to be low scoring. Took the Padres money line at more like minus 130 because I thought it was going to be close. They wound up winning that game by one run again. It is a little bit about home and road team as well. I actually feel a little better about laying the run line with the road team because you know that you're going to get a full nine at bats. And with the home team, if they're trailing in the ninth inning, a walk-off is going to be either a home run or the amount it takes to get one run greater. If there's the bases loaded and it would be a double, you're only going to get credit for that one run. So that is something that you really want to note in regards to money line versus run line. So good question there. And then we got another question in regards to bullpens. This comes to me by a gentleman by the name of Tug. You can follow him on Twitter at Tug. Money 41, and the O in money is actually a zero at June underscore D1. Question for the MLB pod, and it is being asked on the MLB pod. What stats do you look at specifically for bullpens? And do you look at team stats or individual stats? Big thing, obviously, is ERA. That's obviously the first one that you got to look to. It's why the Nationals are such a bad bullpen and everything like that. You also have to take a look at the walks per nine innings. And you should take a look at overall usage because something that you'll note with the Washington Nationals is that even though they've got the worst ERA of any bullpen out there in the big leagues, they also are towards the bottom in regards to the amount of innings that they've been used. And then there are other bullpens that they're very average, but they have to come in for longer periods periods of time. If that bullpen ERA is higher than the ERA of the average starter on that team, that's something that you really want to take a look at. You also want to take a look at just how many home runs they're giving up in general. And you have to also take a look at just your own eyes, what teams they're playing against, because being able to have a shutout performance for three innings against the Detroit Tigers, not the same as being able to close the door for four or five innings against the Seattle Mariners. So it's a variety of different things. You have to take a look at ERA, Base on balls, whip, hits, and obviously fielding as well. I cannot stress this enough. There are just some teams that are not giving their pitchers in general a lot of support. We notice this with the White Sox. The Pirates are a prime example of this as well. There were so many unearned runs in that Pirates versus Cubs series. You want to be taking a look at that. So there are some times where the bullpens are giving up a lot of runs, but a lot of these runs are unearned. Those are the main things I take a look at. And then in regards to individual pitchers, you want to see who's pitching day in and day out. We're noticing that Chaz Rowe of the Tampa Bay Rays is a guy that you can't rely upon. If Fernando Rodney went the day before for the Oakland A's, that should actually give you a little bit of stock up on the Oakland A's because you figure that he's not going to pitch back-to-back days. But then if a guy like Josh Hader, who I know has been struggling and actually took the loss yesterday, but if he got used the day before, you got to downgrade the Brewers a little bit. So you do want to take a look at individuals and use essentially those same stats, but you want to be taking a look at the bullpen in general as well, because let's face it, We don't know exactly who's going to be coming in day in and day out. It's all situational. You can only make your best guess, but in making that best guess, you could essentially eliminate who's not going to be coming out of the bullpen, if that makes sense. So, great questions, guys. And now, let's take a little bit of a look back at yesterday's results. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. It was a wild one out there in New York, but the Yankees were able to pull off a 7-6 win for those of us that had the Yankees run line. That was a little bit brutal as they entered into the 8th inning with a 5-0 lead and then the bullpen from there really pee-peed it down. James Paxson was terrific in this game. He goes 6 innings, 12 strikeouts, gives up only 3 hits, 
But Adam Ottavino winds up giving up three runs along with Caleb Green. Just not a very good showing from either of these gentlemen. Adam Ottavino had been very good going into this game. Chad Green, not so much. But the hero in this one, Austin Romine, who in the 10th inning was able to have his RBI single to be able to win the game for the New York Yankees. And then you also do have to give a little bit of credit to the Kansas City Royals. It feels like their offense is starting to really erupt. Alex Gordon was able to go deep for his fourth home run of the year. And Hunter Dozier had a home run in the sixth. That was his sixth home run of the year. Meanwhile, for the New York Yankees, Clint Frazier continues to be spectacular. He had a three RBI dinger in this one. That was his sixth of the campaign. And then they were also able to get three hits out of Brett Gardner, who seems to be really riding the ship in regards to his batting average. The other team from New York, well, they didn't have such a good showing as Noah Syndergaard continues to get lit up. The St. Louis Cardinals were able to get a 6-4 win in this one. As I mentioned with Syndergaard, he gave up six runs, four of which were earned in five innings. He just doesn't look like his normal self. And it was a bunch of small ball from the St. Louis Cardinals as they didn't have a single home run in this one. But if you're looking for an encouraging sign with the New York Mets, it is the fact that Robbie Gazelman went three scoreless innings. Robinson Cano had his third home run of the year, but he also left the game late in this one with a very weird injury. You want to note that likely not going to be in the lineup against the Philadelphia Phillies tonight. So keep that in mind. Noah Syndergaard, ironically enough, went deep for his first of the year. Michael Conforto had a home run his sixth, and Pete Alonso had a home run his eighth. All four of the Mets runs were solo home runs, by the way. That is just a little bit unlucky, if you're going to be quite honest there. If you have four home runs in a game, you expect to have a little bit more than four runs. But in this one, it was Dakota Hudson being able to get the win despite giving up three long balls. In five innings pitch, he gave up five hits, three of which were home runs. He had two walks and three earned runs. And then from there, the bullpen was able to hold it together, though. You do really have to be concerned about Andrew Miller. He gave up another run in this one, the only run the Cardinals bullpen gave up. He now has a 7.04 ERA, but Paul Goldschmidt seems to be getting things right. He had two hits and two RBI in this one. His average is up to 247. So good sign there for the St. Louis Cardinals and a good sign for the Detroit Tigers as they were able to knock off the Chicago White Sox by a count of 4-3. to three. Ronaldo Lopez went six innings, gave up three runs, two of which were earned. Once again, that White Sox defense, as I mentioned before, not very good. Lurie Garcia committed an error in this one that allowed for an unearned run, and who knows what happens if that doesn't happen. But for the Detroit Tigers, they were able to get Jose Candelario going with a triple. Nicasianos also had a double. And then it was Gordon Beckham hitting his third dinger of the year. Miguel Cabrera also had an RBI. And Daniel Norris winds up going five innings of scoreless baseball. He had six strikeouts. Very good start from him. Blaine Hardy out of the bullpen, though, he's a little bit of an issue. He gave up three runs in 1.1 innings. But from there, Shane Green and company were able to close the door and they were able to get things done with the Detroit Tigers. They've got some very good bullpen arms and some not-so-good ones to get back to that Twitter question from before. The Minnesota Twins were able to knock off the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 4-3. to three. Wasn't quite as convincing as their Game 2 doubleheader win, but they were still able to pound out the runs in this one as they were able to rack up a total of 9 hits. It was a little bit interesting to see how this game played out because Kyle Gibson had a good start. He gave up two runs in six innings, did not issue a single walk. But in the ninth inning, Taylor Rogers he had a very hairy save as he loaded up the bases and gave up a run before being able to get the final outs of the game. As for the Baltimore Orioles in this one, Jonathan VR was able to come up clutch with three hits and five at-bats. He had that RBI in the ninth inning as well. It was on a double, so... 
that was one thing that if you had the Minnesota Twins on the run line like I did, made you really sad. And Dylan Bundy actually had, I guess you could call it a decent start. He went six innings. He gave up four runs, but only two of which were earned. For him, that's actually pretty good. And then from there, the Baltimore Orioles bullpen went three scoreless. So some good signs there if you're a fan of the Orioles. And if you're a fan of the Nationals, this was a very good sign. They wound up shutting out the Marlins by a count of 5-0 to zero after Max Scherzer was unable to get the job done. Steven Strasburg looked terrific in this one. Won eight innings, 11 strikeouts. Really, the only trouble he got in was first inning when he issued two walks, and then they were able to get Ryan Zimmerman going. He had two home runs in this one for his second and third of the campaign. Brian Dozier had his third dinger of the year. As for the Miami Marlins, Trevor Richards just did not have his best start. He went 6.1 innings, gave up three runs, two of which were homers, and then from there, the bullpen of the Miami Marlins wound up giving up two more as Tyler Kinley wound up giving up a pair of home runs, but Wayne Chen, in two-tenths of an inning, did not give up a run to lower his ERA to 16. Obviously a very good sign there, as I joke, of course, but for the Marlins, only three hits in this one. So Marlins bats, even though they erupted on Saturday, they continue to be ones that you've got to fade. You also have to take a look at the Giants and the Pirates games under for the most part, as the Pirates are all sorts of banged up, and they wound up losing to the Giants by kind of 3-2, to two, and it was just one hit that really pushed the Giants over the top, and that was a three-run Buster Posey home run in the fifth inning. His first of the year, and it was huge off of Chris Archer. Archer in this one wound up going five innings, gave up three runs, all on that one dinger. The Pirates were able to get four scoreless innings out of the bullpen, but for the San Francisco Giants, Derek Rodriguez continues to be a bet on pitcher. 5.2 innings, gives up four runs. He did give up a home run, as supplying the power for the Pittsburgh Pirates on this day was Josh Bell. That was his fourth home run of the year, a two-run shot, and All the runs that came off of home runs in this one as neither team really able to play any small ball. And from there, the San Francisco Giants bullpen, which, oh, by the way, happens to currently have the best bullpen in the bigs now, was able to go 3.1 innings of scoreless baseball. Good signs for the Boston Red Sox as they wind up sweeping the Tampa Bay Rays. They get the win 4-3 in extra innings in this one as David Price wound up not necessarily having his best start ever. He gave up two runs of five innings, but he had very good command as he had 10 strikeouts. And then from there, the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox gives up just one run in six innings. Matt Barnes was the guy that gave up the run. Ryan Brazier wound up having his sixth save of the year. Very good signs there. Mitch Moreland had a home run. That was his seventh of the year. But the real difference maker in this one was Christian Vasquez hitting his sack fly in the 11th inning to push the team over the top. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, it was Jose Alvarado that gave this one up. He wound up giving up that run in the 11th inning. Tyler Glasnow had a decent start in this one. His ERA currently a 1.53, so he's been good this year, but three walks and 5.1 innings, including two runs allowed. Tommy Pham was able to hit a home run in this one, his fourth, but all in all, the Rays seem to be coming back down to earth a little bit, and so Milwaukee Brewers might be a little bit as well, as they wind up losing to the LA Dodgers by a count of 6-5. of five. Cody Bellinger's home run in the ninth inning was the difference, as Jock Peterson also supplied two home runs. For Peterson, his ninth and 10th, and for Bellinger, his 11th, as the Dodgers are just hitting balls all over the yard, and a great start for Clayton Kershaw. He's a ace that you've got to once again be backing. It was a cheap price on the Dodgers in this one. They were only laying right around 125-ish for much of the 
day, obviously. He ranged up and down depending on when you got the number, but six innings pitch, gave up two runs. He did have four walks. That's something he got to note, but in this one, it was Pedro Baez and Kenley Jansen that wound up giving up three runs as Eric Thames in the eighth inning hit a three-run dinger to make the count five to five. The Dodgers were in a lot of command before then, and Lorenzo Cain was also able to hit a home run. That, for the year, is his third. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, of all the people to give it up, Josh Hader. He took two losses in this series. That's something that you got to know because you can't think that that's going to be happening too much. And then Brandon Woodruff had a little bit of a rough start in this one. He gave up the other five runs that the LA Dodgers were able to score in this one as he gave up the dingers to Jock Peterson in the early innings. So the starting pitching of the Milwaukee Brewers continues to be lackadaisical. But the starting pitching of the Chicago Cubs actually surprisingly good against the Arizona Diamondbacks on Sunday as Tyler Chatwood delivered six scoreless innings as the Cubs knock off the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of two to one. Runs were at a premium in this game as the Arizona Diamondbacks only mustered three hits. Gerard Dyson's home run in the ninth inning was the lone run that the Diamondbacks were able to scratch across his third of the year. And Anthony Rizzo was able to come alive with the bat. He had two hits, including a double in this one. He's very nearly back to 200. And then for the Chicago Cubs, a plethora of guys that came in to be able to hold down this win. Pedro Strope wound up giving up that dinger. But Steve Ciszek, Brandon Kinsler, and Kyle Ryan were all able to deliver some scoreless action from out there in the bullpen. And as I mentioned with Chatwood, six innings of no-run baseball and only gave up two hits. You've got to be very encouraged if you're a Chicago Cubs fan as this team continues to right the ship after a 1-6 and six start. They have now won 9 of their last 13 games. And if you're a fan of the Rangers, you got the win on Sunday, but it really made you sweat. At one point, the Texas Rangers were up 10-1. to one. The bullpen nearly choked it away as the Houston Astros in the late innings were playing home run derby. Michael Brantley at his third home run of the year. Josh Reddick, his second of the campaign. George Springer, his seventh home run of the year. Carlos Correa, his third of the year. And then Alex Bregman went deep for his fourth of the year. But fortunately, they were able to get to Colin McHugh. In 3.1 innings, he gives up nine earned runs, 10 runs in total. From there, Felix Valdez gave up one run and the Bullpen of the Houston Astros were able to keep them alive, but for the Texas Rangers, they actually got a decent start out of Shelby Miller. In 5.1 innings, he gave up four runs, three of which were earned. That actually lowers his ERA to 7.63, so he continues to stay on the fade list, but Jose LeClerc in the ninth inning gave up two runs and wound up leaving with the bases loaded before Sean Kelly wound up closing the door, but he was not helped by Jeffrey Springs, who gave up two runs in two-tenths of an inning. You also had Brett Martin come in. He wound up having his ERA balloon to over seven now as he gave up two runs in that game. Jose LeClerc gave up two runs. He has a 7.88 ERA. It's just not going well for this Texas Rangers bullpen, but it is going well for Hunter Pence, who had his second home run of the year. Luke Forsythe was able to deliver his first stinger of the year as the Rangers in general were just doing a good job of being able to generate offense as a lot of guys were able to find a way on base one way or another, which cannot be said for the Philadelphia Phillies who wound up losing to the Colorado Rockies by a count of 4-1. to Jared Eikhoff had a decent start in this one. He wound up giving up four runs in six innings, which actually isn't bad for Coors Field. Eight strikeouts. And then from there, they were able to get two scoreless innings out of the bullpen from Austin Davis. You have to be a little bit encouraged if you're a Phillies fan there, but 
The lone run of the game came off of a JT Riamuto RBI. And for the Colorado Rockies, they were able to get a very good start out of John Gray. Six innings pitch, gave up just one hit. And it was Wade Davis that gave up three of the five hits that the Phillies were able to generate, including the lone earned run. Sean Oberg continues to be nails out of the bullpen as well. This is a Rockies bullpen that you really have to like. Carlos Estevez was able to deliver a scoreless inning as well. He's been a little bit of a problem spot for this team, and the Rockies were also able to overcome three errors as well. So you want to note that whenever you're judging teams that are good slash bad out there in the field. If you were on the Seattle Mariners and the total, and you fired in that bet last night, you got a refund, actually, as it was supposed to be Jaime Barilla, who was starting for the LA Angels. It wound up being an opener of Hansel Robles before Barilla came into the game. For those of us that fired these in last night slash early Sunday morning, you got an Easter gift because it wound up being the Angels winning this game by a count of 8-6. to six. This is coming from a gentleman who had the under and the Seattle Mariners while it was Barilla that was the listed starter. Robles gave a scoreless inning, and Barilla looked very good. Five innings pitch, gave up one run, but then Nick Ramirez, he was not good in relief. He and Cody Allen wound up giving up a combined five runs as the Seattle Mariners were able to claw their way back in it, but the damage had already been done. For the Angels, Brandon Goodwin went deep for his third home run of the year. Tommy LaSalle, two home runs, his fifth and sixth of the campaign. And then they were able to get a little bit of an unexpected home run from Kevin Smith. The backup catcher wound up having his first home run of the year, so... That was obviously a very good sign there. Before the Seattle Mariners, they wound up getting a D. Gordon home run in the ninth inning. That is his second of the year. Mitch Haniger went deep for his seventh. And Tom Smith also provided a little bit of power as he was able to hit a home run for his second of the year. But Mike Leake got a little bit dinged up in six innings pitch. He wound up giving up four runs. And then the bullpen which for the Mariners has not been very good, really gave it up. Sean Armstrong now has a 14.73 ERA. He gave up two runs in an inning, and then R.J. Alanis wound up giving up a run in his inning of relief as well. He actually gave up two runs, only one of which was earned. His ERA, because of that outing, dropped to 20.25. So you want to note that the Toronto Blue Jays wind up sweeping the Oakland A's. Speaking of surprising sweeps, they get the job done by a count of 5-4. to four. How about the way the Toronto Blue Jays' bats have been coming around, by the way? This is a team that couldn't did anything to save their lives about a week and a half ago. And now Justin Smoke is really raking. He had his fifth home run of the year. They wound up getting a four-inning start out of our own Sanchez as he was only able to go a limited amount of time. It looks like he's going to be evaluated with an injury. But being able to come in and get the win for this team was Daniel Hudson. He wound up going 1.2 innings of relief to not give up a single run as three of the four runs from this team were given up by Ryan Tapira. He now has an ERA of 16.2, but everyone else that entered the game for the Toronto Blue Jays had an ERA below 4.7. That is something that you really want to note. And for the Oakland A's, they were able to get an RBI out of Chris with a K Davis, but Brett Anderson in this one only won 2.2 innings himself. His pitch count was only a 42, so you got to think that there's something wrong with him as well, which is so interesting, so... The game that you thought you were betting on with the starting pitchers wound up not holding the form, but he wound up taking the loss as he gave up two runs in this one. And then it was just a mishmash of guys from there that wound up coming in and actually did a pretty good job. Joaquin Soria, Blake Tryon, Liam Hendricks, Yasmero Petit all did a good job, but it was J.B. Wendelkirk that wound up giving up the two runs, including the two-run home run that 
Justin Smoke hit his ERAs now 430. So the Oakland A's, you got to think their bullpen is going to be very, very tired heading into their game against the Texas Rangers on Monday. A team whose bullpen isn't going to be so tired is the San Diego Padres as they were able to get a 4-3 win over the Cincinnati Reds. Joey Lucchese with a solid start, 5.2 innings, winds up giving up one run. The bullpen wasn't necessarily great in this one as Brad Wiak and Craig Stamen both wound up giving up a run, but Yates was able to close the door and get the save for the team. And Austin Hedges really was the difference maker for the San Diego Padres in this one. He was able to hit a home run that got the offense ignited for the San Diego Padres. Will Myers was able to have a two RBI double of his own. He's now hitting above 300 for the team. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, Tyler Molly actually didn't look Overly bad in this one, I guess you could say. Six innings pitch. He wound up giving up four runs. He had nine strikeouts, but it wasn't necessarily what they needed as. The bullpen of the Reds continues to be good. They give two innings of solid relief, but this is a Cincinnati Reds team that continues to not hit well in regards to average. Eugenio Suarez had a home run for his fifth of the year, and Kyle Farmer also went deep for his third home run of the year. But other than a Jose Iglesias infield single, they weren't able to generate any offense from there. That's just a problem with the Reds right now. They're needing home runs to generate nearly all their offense. And the Atlanta Braves, they're generating offense in a whole variety of ways. As they just completely pound the Cleveland Indians by a count of 11-5. Josh Donaldson had a pair of home runs in this one. His third and fourth of the season as It was him being able to give the team four RBI. Freddie Freeman had two RBI. Nick Marcakis, Brian McCann, Ozzie Albies all at least had one RBI apiece, including Inciarte chipping in an RBI himself. Shane Bieber had just a wretched start. He gives up seven runs, five of which were earned, only makes it 2.1 innings. And then from there, a bullpen that was not very good for the Cleveland Indians on Saturday reared its ugly head again. Cody Anderson Winds up giving up two runs in 2.2 innings. They didn't get much help from Daniel Otero, who also gave up a run. And then Tyler Olsen wound up adding a little bit of fuel to the fire as he gave up a run in his two-tenths of an inning as well. If you're looking for a good sign for the Indians, though, it is the fact that Francisco Lindor, who just recently came off the bench, was able to hit his first home run of the season. And Roberto Perez was able to go deep as well for his second dinger of the year. Got to feel like better days are ahead for the Cleveland Indians as now Francisco Lindor is back in the lineup along with Carlos Gonzalez and Jason Kipnis. But obviously on this day, things did not go their way. But something that is going my way, having a great conversation with Jeff Nadeau, a.k.a. the big man on campus. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. For those of you that listen to the flagship show of this fine podcast network, College Hoops Overtime Betting, you know this man as he used to join me every Saturday on the podcast. Now he's going to be joining me a lot to talk some baseball. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Nadu. It is the big man on campus, Jeff Nadu. And my friend, we are doing this on Easter Sunday, so it's going to be a little bit late by the time it gets out to the good people out there at home, but happy Easter to you. Same to you, Greg. Thanks for having me, as always. Great to have you on. And I know that it has been a really wild year these first three or so weeks of the season. What's been the biggest takeaway for you? Because what I've noticed is that Fading a lot of these aces, like your Jacob DeGroms, your Max Scherzers, 
all these guys has been highly profitable. Yeah, I think for me, the the big surprise is how poor Boston's been. I mean, you really look at really up and down, whether you just kind of zero in on standings. I mean, this team's 9-13. and 13. They're already five games back. Look at their pitching. I mean, this pitching staff second worst in the major leagues, Greg. Uh, their bullpen's been bad. Um, they're pushing an ERA of almost six as a club. You look at, you know, kind of offensively, they're average. Not necessarily even average. They're below average. I mean, they're 20th in runs scored. They just really haven't done good at really anything. Pitching's been a mess. They're, they're not hitting consistently, only hitting 233 as a team. Now, you know, we're not even through April yet, but you start to see some of their aces get touched up a little bit. You look at a guy like Chris Sale, you know, he's had a ton of issues. He's going to go, obviously, today. But, you know, you look at his ERA, up close to 9, 0-4 on the season. He's been talking about it, calling it, you know, downright embarrassing. This has been a weird season so far for the Red Sox. A team like the Mariners, obviously playing well, they've kind of tailed off a little bit. What's been weird about the Mariners, Greg, is they're – 11 and 2 on the road, but just 5 and 7 at home. So that's been kind of interesting. They've kind of been really road warriors. But for me, the big story is definitely Boston so far. I do agree with you there. And on Monday, you mentioned Chris Sale. He's going to be going up against Matthew Boyd, who's actually been pretty good for the Detroit Tigers. And right now, I'm seeing the Tigers as anywhere between a plus 190 and $2 favorite. This might not be a game that you have a whole heck of a lot on, but. Just looking at it from my view, this is a spot where you got to take the Tigers or pass. I don't know how you can lay more than $2 with Chris Sale and the Red Sox right now. Yeah, the prices really haven't been been affected too much. I will say this. This looks like a good spot to maybe grab Sale, maybe laying you know a run line or something or a first five minus a half. The problem with this game is you're at home, so you're not going to get nine at-bats. This looks like a good lineup for Chris Sale to have some success against. No one you know, outside of... Miggy Cabrera and Nick Castellanos, no no real experience. Castellanos has really struggled against Sale in his career. Miguel Cabrera is just average. This is probably a lineup. You look at overall, I mean, Detroit's only hitting about 235. They're only scoring about three runs a game. I think this is a real good spot to maybe kind of jump on Chris Sale and think that he can do some good things. When you hear start to hear quotes like, him calling things flat out embarrassing and then that kind of stuff, I have some interest. And with limited success against Chris Sale, I think this is probably a good spot to maybe back him. And, you know, maybe an under be worth a look here, Greg. I mean, you know, Matthew Boyd's actually been terrific. You look at uh, him, I think he's top five in the major leagues in, uh, in FIP and, and tied in strikeouts for the league lead. So, you know, everything has been good for Matt Boyd with two lineups that have issues right now. And, you know, and a guy in sale, I think, can bounce back. I think this under looks looks real interesting. Yep, total is currently at eight and a half. I can tell you right now, as long as I'm not laying a significant amount of juice, I'm going to be on this total under. It's Jeff Nader joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And you actually oversold the Tigers. They're hitting 218 as a team this year. They have not been very good. And speaking of teams that, well, their lineup's currently not too great. How about the Pittsburgh Pirates? They're going to be playing host to the Arizona Diamondbacks on Monday. We're seeing the Pirates as right around a minus 140 favorite. They were able to get the job done on Saturday against the Giants in a rain-shortened game, but they were only able to generate two runs yesterday against the San Francisco Giants. What do you make out of this one? Because this is one that's very tough with the Pirates being so banged up and Zach Godley being, well, Zach Godley. Yeah, he's been pretty godly bad, really, if you look at kind of everything. 
Yep. I mean, Zach Godley, it's been interesting because he's gotten progressively worse as, as his career went on. You know, he's kind of been in and out of the, the major leagues, you know, back to like 2015. But you look at it in, in 16, you know, it, it was not a good year for him. He's kind of struggled. But you look at 17, 3.37, the ERA had some better advanced numbers. You know, he got progressively worse last year. Uh, and you look at this year, I mean, he's having major trouble. When your ex-FIP and FIP are up above five, I mean, you have some issues. This is also a team in Arizona. We know that they can hit, but all year I think they're going to be a great over team with their just inability to get anyone out. You look at on the other side, though, you got a Pittsburgh team at home here. They are 12-7. and seven. What's really been working for them is is pitching. You look at how good – Joe Musgrove's been. I mean, it's really been kind of amazing how good Joe Musgrove's been. You look at this club as a whole, number one in the major leagues and team earned run average. I mean, they're only allowing, you know, opponents. Their year is only 2.52. They've been really terrific, really, every way you look at it. Their closer's terrific, good bullpen. You got to wonder how long this will last for Musgrove. You look at some of his, you know, advanced numbers. Yeah, they're kind of a bit higher, but you look at his K rate, it's solid, pretty good everything in metric wise. I'm not a big fan of laying really anything above 130 in baseball. I just try to find other ways to do it. But with being at home here, with Musgrove's continued terrific uh, pitching, I mean, you look at Greg, his whip, he's allowing like under 0.75, you know, per inning. That's pretty good, as we know. Uh, you want to whip around one. I mean, he's he's much below that. I, I like what I'm seeing out of Musgrove. I'll uh, I'll kind of not overthink this one. While it is a good lineup coming in, Godley has just been horrific, and I don't trust this bullpen at all. I'll kind of I think at this point get on this one early. I got a feeling this will probably move on up. Yeah, this is a really interesting game, and this is one where I almost think that you have to correlate the plays. If you like the Pirates, you're probably going to be taking a look at it under because Joe Musgrove, one and one so far this year, 0.81 ERA as the Pirates defense has actually let down some of their pitching this year. We saw that in the game against the Cubs about a week or two ago. And then with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you got to think that if they're going to be able to win this game, they're going to have to do it with offense because Zach Godley, you mentioned him, 6.26 ERA so far this year. Do you ever look at that in baseball just because I feel like you're going to get a total that's going to go over with the Diamondbacks, and you're going to get a total that goes under if the Pirates win. That's just the way that I evaluate this game personally. Yeah, I, I think correlation is obviously interesting, really, in any sport you look at. You know me, I'm, I'm kind of a guy that I don't like to have a ton of plays, and I just try to you know limit myself on how many plays I put out. I'm either really kind of just go and make sense. But, yeah, I mean, I think in baseball you always have that kind of that – if you feel like there's going to be a great offensive game, you know, you got a feeling that there's going to be some runs and you're feeling good about your team. I mean, sometimes you do the old trifecta. You take the team, you know, the over and then the team total over. You can, you know, you could trifecta some of these and have some real success. But, you know, I try to again limit, you know, how many plays I'm, I'm putting out there. But yeah, I think in this case, it would definitely work. I mean, you have to figure if Arizona's winning. Obviously, they're going to be able to hit Musgrove. You got to figure the, the, Pirates were able to hit Godly. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. You have to figure out the other way it makes sense as well. Absolutely. we got Jeff Nadeau, a.k.a. the big man on campus, joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And then another game that I think is really interesting is the Texas Rangers going on the road to face off against the Oakland A's. We saw the Rangers very nearly blow a 10-1 to lead against the Houston Astros. They were able to cling on to dear life, but they've actually been one of the most profitable teams out there in baseball so far this year. And then with the Oakland A's, well, they have been a struggling so far this year. They wind up getting swept by the Toronto Blue Jays at home. They've obviously got Chris with the K Davis. He's been able to rake with 10 home runs so far this year. But you take a look at the pitching matchup, Mike Miner versus Chris Bassett, who's making his first start of the year. 
this just looks like a spot where Texas should be the favorite, but instead they're a plus 108 underdog. Am I missing something here? Because I like the Rangers here. Yeah, I gotta feel like you're, you're missing something here. But, but again, I'm, I'm just still not willing to really trust Mike Miner. I, I don't know. I mean, I know he's been really good and, you know, his ERA has been fantastic. And, you know, you gotta figure at some point he's probably going to get traded. I, I know the Phillies are interested and he's kind of putting on a, some trade starts here. But you, know, you look at his numbers. I think long term, again, not sustainable for Mike Miner to pitch this well. But I do kind of like to ride the, the trends with teams and with pitchers. If it's not broke, don't fix him. Mike Miner's been very good. You're getting an Oakland team that's, you know, as usual, just a 500 team. They have some interesting players. You obviously saw the, the catch Ramon Laureano had. And, you know, you see some of the, you know, Chris Davis, they can hit the ba- baseball out of the park. But you know, I actually like what I'm seeing out of Texas a little bit. I mean, Joey Gallo has been very good. He's going to hit a lot of home runs this year. These guys, this team has pop. And with the way Mike Miner's pitching, I will say this, Greg, if I'm going to get involved with this game, I really have little interest in betting this from a full game perspective. I've learned over the years with Texas to just kind of avoid this group like the plague late in games. You look at that not being any different here. I mean, you look at against uh, Houston when they won 11-10. I mean, the bullpen gave up a lot of runs. Look, when Sean Kelly's in your bullpen, you got to always worry. I-, I would look to take Texas probably from a first five perspective, highlighting, you know, minor here. You like the way he's pitching. Chris Bassett coming off of kind of an injury. He's coming off the disabled list and making a season debut. A pretty good pitcher, though. Pretty good stroke to walk ratio in his rehab starts. He's looked solid, but... I'm willing to think uh, Mike Miner's the guy here, and I'll take a shot with him in the first spot. I think that it's really intriguing, and I think it's good that you bring that up because we all remember that the Rangers in a game against the A's last year, I believe, blew a 10-2 to lead themselves. So this is a Rangers team that has a lot of experience with gas canning games, and I think it's just such a big reason why you have to be evaluating bullpens whenever you're taking these full games because – One thing that we know is that teams like the Angels have a very good bullpen. They're a bit trustworthy. The Tampa Bay Rays bullpen has been a little bit leakier in the past couple weeks, but all in all, they've been doing a pretty good job. I just feel like whenever you're betting baseball, it is so paramount to be looking at these bullpens, seeing who all pitched the previous day, who didn't pitch, and trying to use that in your handicapping. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, if that's not important the way, the way you handicap games, I, I think you're going to have trouble. You can't just blind bet a lot of this stuff. You got to kind of go with what pitchers are pitching well, and you can't just think because the guy's a certain name and he's been bad in the past that he's bad now, or or things like that. But baseball is interesting, Greg. You know, you look at the old adage. You look at a team like Baltimore. And they're going to lose a hundred games this year, probably. Do, do you really just kind of adopt something where you say, you know what, I'm just going to bet against Baltimore all year? I think it's a winning proposition. I think baseball is kind of interesting with that because it is, you know, when you're bad, you're bad. I mean, you don't win and, and go 500. You know, it's not like college basketball where, you know, you can go 15 and 18 and you can somehow survive because maybe you can get into the tournament and, you know, by winning your conference, something like that. Once you get to that June or July mark and, and you're a, a Baltimore and you have 55 losses already, I've always kind of adopted that. I find things that kind of work. For instance, like uh, Tampa Bay. Um, the unders at Tropicana Field have been fantastic over the last few years. They just go under in that stadium. You know, lineup's good, not great. They have a good pitching staff right now. Finding these kind of trends where and just following them all year, um, I think if you bet on the Orioles, you'll make money. It's kind of how I look at it sometimes. Oh, absolutely. you got to be betting a little bit more on value rather than game by game in baseball, in my opinion, as Jeff Nadeau joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. 
And I do feel like out of all the sports out there, because we do college basketball and everything like that, baseball is the biggest grind just because there is 162 games. You have a chance to be able to get back even with a team if you lose a previous day. And it's one of those things where you can just have something really wacky go on. We both know in college basketball, obviously, if a team hits their threes, they can knock off anyone on any given day. And if you have a starting pitcher that has a rough outing, I feel like baseball can become the most unpredictable sport because you have a game that has a total of nine. It's three to one going into the ninth inning. And then all of a sudden that road team could just go off and hit a grand slam and just completely toast that total. Yeah. I mean, baseball can be cruel, man. I mean, it really can. Saturday night. I mean, Cleveland. I mean, I think they were up seven one or six one. I had the run line. I know all about it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty ugly. I mean, how some of this all works, you know, with you know, just the way, you know, these teams. I, I mean, I feel like, Greg, if you just bet first fives, you know, you, you can really kind of limit that kind of stuff. If a starter gets blown up, I mean, the likelihood of you winning late in the game is low anyway. So, you know, I know betters that kind of only bet first fives. I, I think, you know, over the years, I, I can't count how many games I've lost, you know, late in games. It's usually late where you lose, and those things are hard to stomach. You know, if you have a guy like a – I don't know, Steven Strasburg, he goes out and you take him a first five and, you know, they don't score any runs for him or he gets blown up. You just kind of chalk it up. But it's hard to accept and swallow, Greg, when some of these guys out of nowhere come in and just, I mean, can't get anybody out. It's irritating. I'll tell you, Greg, I actually did a show on this one time, you know, back when I had a regular show on SBR. We did a show about annoying things in sports, like from a betting perspective. Like, for instance, you look at one, like, is there anything, Greg, more irritating when you have guys on second and third with one out and they strike out? Is there anything more irritating than that? I mean, move the runner, put the ball in play. You're just little things. And baseball is really number one and it's paramount with irritating things. Baseball can really grind you up and spit you out. That's why, like, I've always am happy I do the kind of the limited plays kind of stuff where, you know, I, I wet my whistle. Is it my best sport? No. I try to ground out a profit with dogs and, and run lines and things like that. And to see another day, you know, I'll never say it's my favorite. I enjoy it. It's fun in the summer down at the shore or wherever you are. You got baseball on and you, you bet a game today, but I, I just try to not get beaten up too bad with it. I will say one thing, Greg, and this is something I want to point out to anyone out there that uh, listened to you. Tampa is an interesting team. I talked with them with the unders. You look at with winning games, they're 14 and eight. All 14 of their wins have come by two or more runs. So you're starting to see some big numbers with Tampa. You start to see them laying, you know, against Baltimore this week, they're laying, you know, one to two, one to 2.1. You know, they're laying bigger numbers. They did just get swept, but you know, this is a team where I wouldn't have an issue with laying the run line. This team is covering run lines. As I said, all their wins have come by two or more runs. They seem to be a team that is scoring in bunches. And Jeff, I would like to close it up with this. Where can the good people out there find you on social media and elsewhere? Because I know that you don't just do baseball this time of year, but you stay active with college basketball and all that's going on in the offseason there. You do some NBA and you do some soccer as well. Yep, I do soccer. I'm messing with the NBA. I got the NFL draft coming up, which I'll have some shows for and things like that. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Nadu, J-F-F-N-A-D. You can also find me on YouTube. Just search BMOC. Terrific. A big thanks to Jeff Nadu for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Vegas betting board as we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. 
And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, you better not blow it. And a big thanks to Jeff Nadu for joining me in the last segment as we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting, broadcasting from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted on my Twitter page at junior.squared81. Today I've got quite a few of these plays locked in, but there are some that I'm still waiting on different numbers for and everything like that, and I'll be noting that as we go along, and as always, I'll be updating those plays on my Twitter as well. And we start with 9.51, 9.52 on the betting rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks head to Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates. Yarg. Joe Musgrove on the bump for the Pirates. Zach Aldley goes for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Still in this game is 7.5 and is shaded under. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Diamondbacks, you're going to get anywhere between plus 123 and plus 130. If you want to lay it with the Buckos, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 138 and minus 140. Zach Aldley is not very good, but at the same time, Neither is this Pittsburgh Pirates roster right now. They've got so many guys on the injured list. Sterling Marte is now on the injured list after he had that collision with shortstop Eric Gonzalez, who was already filling in for Kevin Newman. Corey Dickerson is still injured. You've still got Gregory Polanco on the injured list. I mean, Adam Frazier has been dealing with some injuries as well. Lonnie Chisinau is still out. Chad Cool, the pitcher, is going to be out for a very, very long time. So the list goes on and on and on of the Pirates' injuries. Meanwhile, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Christian Walker's day-to-day, but past that, they've got nearly everyone healthy. Obviously, having Walker in the lineup in this one would be big, as he's hitting 353 with six home runs, 11 RBI. The Arizona Diamondbacks, we've noticed in recent days, have been a little bit feast or famine in their three-game set against the Cubs. They wound up scoring a combined eight runs in those three games, but six of which came in game two of that set, so... That is something that you want to note. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, they do have a bunch of guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. You got like the Gerard Dyson at the top of the lineup as an OPP of 385. Adam Jones hitting just below 300. David Peralta hitting above 330. That's obviously been good. Cattell Marte is struggling in regards to his average along with Escobar. But what you have to like about Cattell Marte is that he has 15 RBI and four home runs so far this year. And for Pittsburgh, they're really getting a lot out of Josh Bell and Melky Cabrera. Josh Bell hitting above 300 with four home runs, 50 RBI, 15 RBI. Meanwhile, Melky Cabrera hitting above 300 as well. But right now, you're just using a mismatch of different players. Chad Ducker had to be the hero for the team on Saturdays. He was able to hit his first career home run. He's currently their leadoff hitter. 
You just don't know what you're going to get out of Colin Moran on a day-to-day basis. You got J.B. Shuck that's getting starts for this team. I mean, oh man, Francisco Cervelli and John Kong are still hitting below a buck sixty. I just don't have a lot of faith in this Pittsburgh Pirates lineup. I don't have much faith in Zach Godley either. He's 1-1 one one so far this year. He's allowed 10 walks in 23 innings. He's already allowed four dingers. Joe Musgrove has been terrific, by the way. He has a 1-1 one one record, but he has pitched much better than his numbers would indicate. He's been let down a little bit by his defense as he's only given up two runs in his four total games, three starts so far this year, four walks in 22 and a third innings. Opponents are eating just a buck 69 off of him, but I think the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to get to him. I think that the Pirates are going to be able to generate some contact off of Zach Godley as well. And much like we were talking about with Jeff Nadeau, I think that this is a little bit of a correlated play here. Since I do think the Diamondbacks are going to be able to get to Joe Musgrove, I am on the over in this game and I am on the Arizona Diamondbacks. I just think that they're going to be able to generate enough offense and they're going to get to a bullpen that for the Pirates has been good so far this year, but does have its holes as well. Currently Wayne C mode on these numbers, but going to be playing the Diamondbacks and the over in this spot. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies head to New York to face off against the Metropolitans. Steven Matz on the bump for the Mets. Meanwhile, Jake Arrieta goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Tone this game is 7.5 and it is shaded way over. Over is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Under anywhere between even juice and minus and plus 105. Meanwhile, if you like the 8, the under is minus 120 there. The over is even juice. And this game is relatively a pick If you like the Philadelphia Phillies, you're going to be getting anywhere between minus 108 and even money. Meanwhile, if you want to take a shot here on the Mets, you're going to be getting anywhere between minus 102 or minus 110. The favorite on this spot is actually flipping from book to book right now. It's very interesting. That is what you've got there. And we all remember how Steven Matz's last start went against the Philadelphia Phillies. He wound up giving up eight runs, many of which were earned without recording a single out. I think that Steven Matz is going to fare a little bit better in this one. I don't think that's saying much, but I do think that the Phillies' bats are going to be able to get things going after they were a little bit quiet in their series against Colorado in that game on Friday. I believe they left 18 men on base. They just weren't able to get anything going on Sunday, but you still take a look up and down the lineup. You've got a murderer's row of hitters. Gene Segura hitting nearly 330. Mikel Franco's hitting 275, six home runs, 18 RBI at the bottom of the lineup. Bryce Harper has been coming on with the bats. He had... Five hits in that game on Friday. You still have guys like Reese Hoskins. Roman Quinn is fresh off the injured list. You got to think that he's going to be able to give this team a boost. And then you've still got JT Riamuto and Knapp alternating at the catcher spot as well. So you've got a lot of good bats. Meanwhile, for the Mets, they've got a lot of guys that are hitting as well. And what we've noticed is that their bullpen, it just is not good. Now, that's not saying that the Philadelphia Phillies have a bunch of guys that are lights out. Sir Anthony Dominguez and company, they're doing a decent job. But with the Mets, there's just not a lot of guys you can trust them with. Chris Flexen having to give that start on Saturday leaves them a little bit tired, but they do have a lot of guys that are hitting as well. Pete Alonso now has eight home runs, 19 RBI. He's hitting 325. We saw Robinson Cano go out with an injury yesterday. You got to figure that he's going to be out of the lineup, but it's not like Robinson Cano was really producing a whole lot for the New York Mets. This actually might be a little bit of an addition by subtraction because he was only hitting 235 for the year, wasn't really generating a lot of powers. I don't think he'll be missed as much as. Many people would think Jeff McNeil is hitting 371. Travis Day no really needs to pick it up with a bat because he's been doing some catching for Wilson Ramos, obviously. You're going to want to see if Wilson Ramos is starting in this game because, oh man, he is not very good. 
And then you know that there are a couple other guys that are currently injured for this team as well. Todd Frazier still has yet to play this year for the New York Mets, but they've got more than enough with guys like Rosario and Brandon Nimmo being able to pick it up. But I do think that the Phillies are going to get a much better start in this one from Jake Area than the Mets are going to out of Steven Matz. Matz has given up four home runs so far this year in his starts. And Jake Arrieta, 3-1, 2-2-5 ERA. He's been doing a good job of being able to limit things in regards to the hits that he's given up. He has issued 12 free passes in 28 innings. That's obviously a concern, but he does a good job of bending but not breaking. And I have a feeling that he's going to have better command in this game. This is a spot where you just have to look over with these two teams. I'm currently in C mode because... The minus 120 juice on 7.5 is a little bit too much. But I'm looking at the Phillies run line here. I've got a plus price of plus 165. I have wound up taking it and locking it in. So Phillies run line and the over the play here. We move on to a game that is currently off the board. It is the St. Louis Cardinals playing host to the Milwaukee Brewers. Just announced before I came on the broadcast, the Brewers did decide who their starter is going to be, which is why this game is currently off the board. Adrian Hauser, who got called up from AAA San Antonio The Missions, is going to be making his Major League debut for the Milwaukee Brewers. Meanwhile, for the St. Louis Cardinals, it is Jack Flaherty. And that means that you've got to be taking a look at the over in this spot. Jack Flaherty has not necessarily been lights out for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. He actually doesn't have a bad record, but he's been getting touched up in a lot of his starts so far this season. Currently 1-1 one one with a 5 ERA, and it's not necessarily because he's issuing a lot of free passes, just 4 walks in his 18 innings, but he's given up 4 dingers. His whip is a 1.61. He just lends himself to way too much hard contact. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, what you know is that this team can hit. Christian Yelich hitting above 350. 13 home runs and 35 RBI so far this year. Lorenzo Kane has been absolutely terrific at the top of the lineup. He's hitting 295 on base percentage of 370. He does a great job of being able to hit. You know, Zmani Grandel hitting above 330. You've even gotten something out of Herman Perez at the second base position. Now they do have a couple guys that are struggling. Jesus Aguiar, Orlando Arcia, Travis Shaw are all guys that are hitting below 225 and Ryan Braun himself hitting a buck 89. But Eric Thames hitting that three run pinch hit home run was absolutely huge for the Milwaukee Brewers yesterday. That's something that you got to think is going to be able to get this team online. And then they're able to bring in Ben Gamla as a little bit of a platoon outfielder and he's able to do a good job of being able to get on base. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, they have been hitting the cover off the ball recently. They were able to hang 10 runs in their game on Saturday in which Chris Flexen started for the New York Mets. And then they followed that up by getting to Noah Syndergaard for six runs yesterday. Paul Goldschmidt has really picked it up. He's got eight home runs. He's now hitting 247. Things are turning upwards for him. Matt Carpenter has been a little bit cold, hitting for an average of just 213. But Yadier Molina now has his average up to 244. Dexter Fowler has been picking things up as well. Jose Martinez is white out for this team. Baldy Young also hitting above 300 as well. This is a spot where I'm probably going to be taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals run line because with Adrian Hauser, he's got a lifetime record in the minors of 24 and 35 with a 4-2-3 ERA. Not necessarily a great quality there. He's actually been good in the minors this year. He's 1-0 with a 110 ERA, but he doesn't necessarily have an electric fastball. He's able to go deep-ish into games, and this isn't actually his major league debut because he's made some relief appearances for the Milwaukee Brewers. He did so quite a bit last year, but this is his first ever major league start, and I just think that this is a spot where you gotta fade him here. You just don't know how long he's gonna go. It means that the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen 
is going to be used, and it's going to be used heavily. Brandon Woodruff didn't necessarily give them the best start yesterday, so a lot of their arms are getting tagged because they are having to mix around with so many of the starters because they had to send Corbin Burns down to the minor leagues after he was just absolutely awful to begin the year. So this is a spot where I think the Cardinals are going to get to the Brewers, and so I'm probably going to be taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals run line, and I'm probably going to be taking a look at an over as long as this game just doesn't have like some harebrained total of like 10 or something like that. So that's what I'm looking at currently in this spot. What, Like I said, currently no numbers up there on the board. So check back in the morning at GNNRSquare81 for my official plays there. 957, 958 on the betting rotation. We've got another game that's off the board because for the Washington Nationals, they're going to be on the road against the Colorado Rockies who have yet to decide a starter. And as of, I would say, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific, they had yet to settle on a starter. Meanwhile, we know that with the Washington Nationals, it's going to be Jeremy Hellickson. Now, Bud Black did say a couple minutes ago, and I quote, Tyler Anderson is a good speculation for a starter. And if that is the case, you're probably going to be taking a look at this total over if it's less than 11. Jeremy Hellickson does a solid job as a starting pitcher as so far this year, he hasn't been giving up too many runs. He's 2-0, 2-6-3 ERA. He maybe gives out a couple more walks than you'd like. In 13.2 innings, he gives out eight walks, but he doesn't go deep into games. We've noticed this with his starts because in three starts, he's went essentially six innings or fewer in every one of them. And what that means is that we're going to see a good helping of the Nationals bullpen. And the Nationals bullpen, entering into the weekend, had the worst ERA out there in the bigs. They don't have anyone that you can really trust for more than one inning. Doolittle at the end of games has actually been decent for this team. Past that, there is nobody on this Washington Nationals bullpen that you can trust. Meanwhile, with the Colorado Rockies, they're doing a good job of being able to hit. Trevor Story has the average up to a 271, five home runs, 14 RBI. Charlie Blackman got exactly what he needed with two home runs in that series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Ryan McMahon is back in the lineup. Nolan Arenado at one point last week had three home runs in three straight games. He has been getting the job done with the bat. David Dahl is back in the lineup. He's hitting above 300. You've got a lot of guys for the Colorado Rockies area hit. And then with Tyler Anderson, well, he's not necessarily the best arm either. Over the last two years, his home run rate has been a 1.5 or greater in every one of them. And then last year, he gave up 30 long balls in 32 starts. He was 7-9 with a 4.55 ERA. And in two starts so far this year, his ERA is 11. He's allowed 11 earned runs in nine innings. He has been shelled. He has been a gas can. There's really nothing you can trust. And with the Washington Nationals, they seem to get their bats online. They were able to get a 5-0 win over the Miami Marlins on Sunday. Anthony Rendon has been one of the best hitters in the majors, hitting 371, six home runs, 18 RBI. Juan Soto has been struggling a little bit with the average, but you know that he still has the power. Adam Eaton at the top of the lineup has been doing a solid job of being able to get on base. 317 average, OBP of 391. Howie Kendrick hitting above 400. He's been a big addition ever since he's gotten back into the lineup. Now, Brian Dozier has been struggling at the bottom of the lineup, but even Kurt Suzuki at the catcher's spot delivering a little bit of something as well. This is a spot where you just have to take a look, most likely at the Washington Nationals, unless if something unbeknownst to me pops up, I'm probably going to be taking a look at an over. Could I have official plays in the morning since obviously I'm currently trying to do this without a line, but I leans 
if it is Tyler Anderson that's going for the Rockies, going to be the Washington Nationals and going to be the over. 959, 960 on the banging rotation. The Chicago White Sox go to Baltimore to face off against the Orioles. Speaking of really bad starters, here we go with this matchup. On the bump for the Baltimore Orioles, our good buddy David S. And for the Chicago White Sox, ooh, this is a fun name to say. Many Benuelos. The total on this game is 10, and it is shaded under. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even juice and minus 110. And Benuelos is currently the favorite in this game. If you want to lay it with the White Sox, anywhere between minus 118 and minus 120. If you want to take a shot on the Orioles, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. Oh, man. David Hess is a guy that you just cannot back. And with the Orioles bullpen being taxed so badly with that doubleheader the way that it was, and the way that the Orioles have a bottom three bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, this is a spot where I actually have to take a look at the over. I typically don't like to take overs in games that have a total of 10 or greater, but I've already locked in the over on this game. And Dylan S., he is not very good. In 21 innings, he's only issued five walks, which is actually pretty good, but he's allowed himself to just get hit, and he's allowed himself to just get hit hard. He actually made his most recent start on Wednesday. He went two innings in that game. He wound up giving up six runs, did not record a single strikeout, just not too many redeeming qualities with him. He had a very good start when he took on the Toronto Blue Jays on April Fool's Day, April 1st, but past that, he's given up three-plus earned runs in every single start so far this year. And for the White Sox, they've got a team that's hitting quite well. Yohan Mankata hitting 317, six home runs, 18 RBI. Tim Anderson still has his average above 400. Jose Abreu has yet to find it with the bat. He's hitting below 200, and Yonder Alonso has also been struggling with this team, but both those guys have significant power, and you got to think that they're going to be able to find a way on base as well. And then you take a look at Eloy Jimenez. He's been on a little bit of a slump, but he's been doing some decent things with the bat end. You take a look at the outfield as well. They're getting some good production out of Ryan Cordell with... Adam Ingle and Daniel Polka struggling the way that they are. The fact that he's got two home runs at an average of 438 has really helped out the team. And with the Baltimore Orioles, their pitching stinks, but their offense is actually pretty good. Renato Nunez hitting 293, five home runs, six seed RBI. Trey Boomer Mancini hitting for six home runs, 13 RBI. He is hitting above 300 this year as well. They've been getting something out of Dwight Smith Jr. He's been able to supply five home runs so far this year. That has been a big help for the team. Jonathan VR at the top of the lineup has done a nice job of being able to get on base. And then you've got Rio Ruiz who seems to be starting to pick it up with the bat as well. And Jesus Sucre was able to get two hits against the Twins yesterday as well. This is a spot where I think that the White Sox, who actually have been showing some signs of improvement with the bullpen, going to be able to do a decent job in this game. I've just got no idea how far Benuelos is going to go in this game just because he is making a spot start in this spot. He really hadn't pitched in four years before this year. So far this year, he's been more of a long reliever. He's got 10 walks. He's got seven walks in 10.1 innings. He's done a good job of being able to limit the contact, but you can't think that he's going to go more than four innings. So I think the Orioles are probably going to score right around three or four runs, but I think that the White Sox are just going to light up Hess and the rest of that bullpen like a Christmas tree. So for that reason, I am taking a look at the White Sox run line. Plus 135 on the White Sox. I'm seeing some plus 130s as well, but locked in plus 135 personally. And I am on this total over. 
Both these plays all locked in as we move on to 961-962 on the betting rotation. The Kansas City Royals hit the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays in a game that we currently have no line on. This is because the Tampa Bay Rays did not announce their starter until after their loss against the Boston Red Sox. They are going to be going with Uni Torinos as their starter against the Kansas City Royals. And Brad Keller is going to be going for the Kansas City Royals. This is a spot where if you're getting a good plus price with the Kansas City Royals, I would actually take a look at it. They had a nice rally yesterday against the New York Yankees. you got to feel like the offense is starting to come alive a little bit. And Brad Keller is a guy that I actually really like as a starter. He's 2-1 so far this year, 264 ERA. In his four starts, he's went 30 and a third innings. So he's actually been going deep into starts. He has a problem with the walks. 17 walks and 30 and two-thirds innings. Not very good, but he's been limiting the hard contact. Only two home runs so far this year. And then with Torinos, he's been good himself. 3-0 with a 3-2-6 ERA. Does a great job of not putting men on that he doesn't need to. Just four walks this year in 19 and a third inning. But he doesn't go as deep as Brad Keller does. And you got to think that the Rays are going to have to use all their bullpen arms and it's going to be all men on staff. And the Rays' bullpen has actually been a little bit suspect recently. And then with the Kansas City Royals, you've got a couple guys that, who I just mentioned are doing a good job of hitting. Alex Gordon so far this year, hitting 316, four home runs, 20 RBI. Hunter Dozier now hitting above 300. He's got six stingers, 11 RBI. You're not getting much in regards to average out of Ryan O'Hearn, but he's been able to go deep for this team quite a bit. It was also a big help that Jorge Soler was able to get some power generated during their series against the Yankees. He had a home run in that second game of the series. He won 0 for 5 yesterday, but you got to think that he's going to pick it up. Now you have guys like Chris Owings, Lucas Duda, and Martin Maldonado, all of which are hitting below 200, but Billy Hamilton has great wheels and has been doing a solid job of being able to get on base along with Whit Merrifield and Mondesi as well, so I really like those guys. And then when you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been generating some offense themselves. Austin Meadows at the top of the lineup, hitting 351, 6 home runs, 19 RBI. Got to like what he's doing. Kevin Kiermeyer hitting just below 300. He's been hitting much better this year than he did last year. Last year, he was right around a 200-ish hitter. Yandy Diaz is hitting just below 300. He's been able to give this team some power. Tommy Pham hitting nearly 300. He had his fourth home run of the year yesterday as well. So there are some good things that are going on for this Rays team, though. It seems as though they're a little bit banged up. G-Man Choi is currently day-to-day. Austin Meadows, who I just mentioned, is actually now on the 10-day injured list. They're going to be without him for a little bit. That's obviously going to be a woe. So for that reason, I do think that there might be a lot of value here with the Kansas City Royals. They're going to be a pretty hefty plus price. And even though the Royals are 7-15 and this year, they've lost a lot of those games by one run because in regards to if you bet them on the run line, Kansas City Royals actually 13-9 and so far this year. And we just heard our man Jeff Nadu mention that every one of Tampa Bay's 14 wins have come by two-plus runs. Perhaps this is a spot where the Kansas City Royals get a great outing out of Brad Keller and they're able to hold them down. So for that reason, probably going to be taking a look at the Royals. Probably going to be taking a look at an under here as well because I do like the way that Brad Keller pitches, but you need to wait for a total on this one. If it's more around the neighborhood of eight, going to take it under. If it's seven, all bets are off there. So it's one of those wait and see things. My apologies, I just can't do a whole lot without a line. 963, 964 on the betting rotation. It is the Detroit Tigers on the road facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Chris Sale on the bump for the Red Sox. Meanwhile, Matthew Boyd goes for the Detroit Tigers. Total in this game is 8.5 and, and it's shaded both ways. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. The same goes for the over, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you like the Tigers, you're getting a massive plus price. Anywhere between plus 190 and $2. Want to lay it with the Red Sox? 
laying anywhere between minus 215 and minus 230. We talked about it in our last segment with Jeff Nadu. I just can't lay this price with Chris Sale right now. He has a massive dip in velocity, and we know that the Tigers are not hitting right now themselves. As a team, they have the fewest home runs in the big leagues with 11. They're hitting 218 as a squad, but you got to feel like Nico Goodrum is going to be able to turn it around at some point. He's been doing a good job of being able to hit for average. He's hitting 279. He just has been a little bit unlucky with regards to the power. He has only two home runs so far this year. Seems like Miguel Cabrera is starting to pick things up as well. In their game yesterday, he was able to have an RBI, so that was obviously good to see Nick Cassianos doing a little bit of a better job for this team. You have noticed that Jose Candelario has been struggling, Jacoby Jones hitting just a buck 54, and Josh Harrison doing absolutely nothing at the top of the lineup. And with the Boston Red Sox, they haven't necessarily been flames with the bat either. Mitch Moreland at 7 home run at 14 RBI hitting 258, and J.D. Martinez is hitting 350, but Mookie Betts isn't what he was last year. Becky Bradley Jr. at the bottom of the lineup hitting below 200, and you've got quite a few guys that are currently injured for the Boston Red Sox. Currently finding themselves on the 10-day injured list is Dustin Pedroia. Brock Holt and Eduardo Nunez. You got to think that Brock Holt is going to be back at some point, but he's a very critical platoon player that really hasn't played at all so far this year for the Boston Red Sox. So that has obviously been a woe for them. Andrew Benatendi seems to be coming around with the bat. He had a grand slam in their game two days ago. That was obviously big, and Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts doing a decent job in the middle of the lineup, but you're not getting much out of the second base spot between Shivas and you're going to have fun with my pronunciation of this one. Tazu Weilin. I hope I pronounced that one correctly. Both these guys are generating nothing. Christian Vasquez and Leon at the catcher spot just not giving this team a whole lot of lots. So that is why I'm certainly going to be riding the under in this spot. I feel like this is the biggest no-brainer on the board. And you got to take the Tigers with a plus price. I just have no faith right now in Chris Sale. I'm going to be fading him until further notice. And with the Boston Red Sox, their bullpen has not been very good. And the Detroit Tigers actually have had a quite good bullpen so far this year. Their bullpen has been in the top five in regards to ERA for much of the year. They're hovering right around that area right now, and this is a spot where I think that they're going to be able to get another good start out of Matthew Boyd, and I think that they're going to be able to hold this total under, and they're going to be able to win a lower scoring game. So, on the Tigers and on the under in the spot, have locked in both of those plays. We move on to 965-966 on the betting rotation. It is the Houston Astros playing host to the Minnesota Twins. Jake Odorizzi taking the bump for the Twins. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, Brad Peacock is going to be towing the rubber. Total in this game is 9, and it's shaded a little bit to the under. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 150. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be getting a pretty big plus price. Anywhere between plus 160 and plus 165. If you want to lay with the Houston Astros, anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. We saw the Astros just get completely torched with regards to everyone in their pitching the past couple days. And I think that Brad Peacock is going to be able to right the ship a little bit in this one. And you're going to be dealing with a little bit of a tired bullpen. But the Twins are going to be a little bit tired with their bullpen as well. You got to think that they're going to want to see Jake Odorizzi give them a good start because they did have to play that double header with the Baltimore Orioles on Saturday. And I do think that both starters will be able to give them a good performance. So I'm going to take this total under. When you take a look at Jake Odorizzi, he hasn't necessarily been doing a great job of being able to limit walks. In 17 innings so far this year, he's issued 10 walks, but he's given up just one home run in his start so far this year. Brad Peacock, meanwhile, he's done a great job with only three walks in 16 innings, but he does give up a little bit more hard contact. He's given up two dingers so far this year, and Eddie Rosario really came alive in that series against the Baltimore Orioles. He's now hitting 280 with nine home runs, 20 RBI 
Jorge Polanco is hitting 362. He was able to generate some power. And let's just be honest here. Everyone was going yard for the Minnesota Twins in that series against the Orioles in that game on Saturday, the second of a doubleheader. They had 16 runs in that game. Nelson Cruz was able to hit a pair of home runs. They had Estadio really getting going with the bat as well. He had two RBI in their game on Sunday. Jonathan Scope was able to get on point with the bat. CJ Krohn has upped his average to 268, so things going well there. And for the Houston Astros, their bats have been doing a great job for them. Jose Altuve, he just below 308 home runs, 17 RBI. Alex Bregman is now hitting above 300, and all up and down the roster for the Houston Astros, you've got a bunch of guys that are hitting quite well. Jake Marisnik hitting much better this year than he has in the past. He currently has an average right around 320. He's been doing a great job for the team. Robinson Chirinos has been picking it up with the bat. He's now hitting 271. Tony Kemp has been a little bit of a woe. He and Max Sassy both hitting below 160, but past that, everyone else is hitting for the team, including Michael Brantley and Josh Reddick, who are both hitting above 300 out there in the outfield. This is a spot where I do think that the Twins do have some value, though. I think that they're going to be able to get a good start out of Jake Odorizzi. Max Kepler is going to be out for this team, but past that, everyone is healthy for the Minnesota Twins. And as a team so far this year, they're hitting 274, and they've been sneaky good with their bullpen as well. So currently waiting see mode as to what price I'm going to be able to get on the Twins and the under, but I think that Jake Odorizzi has himself a nice start here, and he's able to hand the Astros another loss as it seems like they're slumping a little bit. 967-968 on the betting rotation. The New York Yankees are in Los Angeles to face off against the Angels. It is Matt Harvey going for the Angels. Meanwhile, J.A. Hapapare goes for the Yankees. It has been anything but Hapapare for him this year, by the way. As the Yankees currently a slight favorite, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 112 and minus 116 with the Yankees. If you like the Angels, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 101 or getting a plus price of plus 106. This is a spot where I am on the Yankees and I have already locked this one in. The Angels were able to generate quite a bit of offense against the Seattle Mariners, but truth be told, Mariners pitching not necessarily as good as the Yankees. The Yankees actually have a pretty decent bullpen, though you wouldn't know it if you watched their game yesterday against the Kansas City Royals as James Paxson handed them a big lead and they nearly gas canned it. And what we know with the New York Yankees is that six of their nine starters to begin the year are currently on the injured list. Aaron Judge is now on the injured list. Troy Tulowitzki, D.D. Gregorius was injured beforehand. Miguel Andujar, Gary Sanchez. Need I go on? But what they still have is Clint Frazier, who's hitting 339. D.J. LeMayhew has been doing a great job of second-picking up for this team. He's hitting above 300. They've actually gotten something out of... Matt Tauschman, he's been able to drive in a couple home runs for this team. Luke Voigt, not necessarily hitting for average, but he does a good job of being able to give this team a little bit of power. Austin Romine at the catcher spot had three hits and three RBI yesterday against the Kansas City Royals. Then when you take a look at the LA Angels, like I said, they did a very good job of being able to get their bats online against the Seattle Mariners, but this is still a team that's just completely dominated by Mike Trout and all that he's able to do. He's currently hitting 333. He leads the team in home runs at RBI. Justin Bohr hitting 203. Peter Borges hitting a buck 03. Zach Cozart a buck 02. Tommy Lascelles upped his average of 246. And Daniel Fletcher and Brandon Goodwin are both hitting 300-ish. And in the case of Brandon Goodwin, 346. He had his third home run of the year yesterday. But it just feels like things are coming to the end for Albert Pools. He was able to get a home run on Saturday, but he is not been the way that he used to. And Dalton Simmons seems to be really picking things up at all in all. It's just tough to trust a team that has a leadoff hitter of Cole Calhoun that's hitting a buck 84 as well. And Matt Harvey in his starts 
has just been almost as bad as J.A. Happ. You've got two gas cans on the mound. Matt Harvey, 0-2, 964 ERA. J.A. Happ, 0-2, 723 ERA. I do think that both of these guys are going to have a little bit of a better outing. And with the Angels having a lack of hitting in their lineup and the Yankees just all sorts of banged up, I am actually going to take this game under. But Matt Harvey so far this year has allowed four home runs in 18.2 innings and has walked eight guys. J.A. Happ, six home runs in 18.2 innings. But what I will say for J.A. Happ is that the ballpark out there in Los Angeles doesn't really give up the long balls that say Yankee Stadium does. So I think that that's actually going to play to his advantage, which is why I am going to ride the Yankees here and I'm going to ride this total under. I think that both these starters get online a little bit and I think the Yankees are going to be able to pull out this win. And we move on to the final game on the betting rotation. It is 969-970. The Texas Rangers are in Oakland to face off against the A's. Mike Miner goes on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, Chris Bassett toes the rubber for the Oakland A's. Currently, we are noticing that the steam is coming in on the Oakland A's. If you like the A's, you're going to be getting anywhere between minus 115 and minus 124. I'm seeing a bunch of red because that means that the numbers just moved on my screen. Meanwhile, if you want to take a shot on the Rangers, you're probably best off waiting because you're going to get anywhere between plus 103 and plus 112. The total on this game is 8.5 and and it's shaded both ways. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105 and ditto for the under. Anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. I do think that Mike Miner is going to be able to give this team a very nice start. He has been doing a great job so far this year for the Texas Rangers. Rangers. He's 201 with an ERA right around 260. He's been a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher throughout his career, but that's actually going to play well in Oakland because he's going to be playing this game at night. The marine layer is going to be out, so that is going to allow some of those balls that might be a home run during the daytime to stay within the ballpark. And Chris Bassett himself, last year wasn't necessarily bad. He did a good job of being able to limit the walks. Guys weren't necessarily hitting him too hard. He had opponents hitting below 230. I just think that he's not going to be going very long in this game. And the Oakland A's bullpen has been quite taxed so far this year, and they've been doing a very bad job of being able to retain leads. We've seen guys like Fernando Rodney and Joaquin Soria. Just be guys that you can't trust. They've got guys like Trine that do a very good job for them, but then you've got the gas can relievers as well. It's a very interesting mix with the Oakland A's bullpen, to say the least. And with the Texas Rangers... Well, we saw their bullpen not do very well yesterday, but I do think that Mike Miner probably going to be able to give this team 7-plus quality innings. In four starts so far this year, he's won 27.2 innings. He's allowed eight walks in those 27.2 innings, which isn't too bad. He's been doing a great job with his whip under one. Meanwhile, with the Texas Rangers, you've got some guys that are hitting and hitting quite well. Joey Gallo, eight home runs, 22 RBI. He's trying to prove me wrong on the fact that he's a all-or-nothing player as he's been doing a little bit of a better job of just reaching base in general. Sinchu Chu hitting 318 at the top of the lineup on base percentage of 430. He's been terrific. Danny Santana hitting above 300. Elvis Andrews hitting 363. Hunter Pence was able to go yard for his second home run of the year. He had three RBI yesterday. He's hitting 281. Patrick Wisdom has been just completely awful with the bat along with Jeff Mathis, but Jelino DeShields Jr., despite his 218 average, has an on-base percentage of 358. He just finds a way on base. That's huge for him. And then when you take a look at the other side for the Oakland A's, they actually have some struggling bats. They just recently got swept by the Toronto Blue Jays. Chris Davis has been doing a great job with 10 home runs so far this year, but you've got a bunch of guys out there that they've been very hit or miss so far this year. 
Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman are both hitting above 300 towards the top of the lineup, but Robbie Grossman has seen his average dip to 230. Loreno out there in center field. He's a very good fielder, but he's only hitting 228 for the year. Drickson Profire hitting a buck 72. Kendrys Morales a buck 79. And then Jeff Feigley has come back to earth with his average as well. And whenever Nick Humley's behind the plate, oh man, you're going to get no hitting there as he's hitting a buck 25. So for that reason, I am all aboard the Texas Rangers and the under in this spot. Have already locked in the under. Currently Wayne C mode with the Rangers since the steam is coming in on the Oakland A's. And that will do it for a Monday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to my good buddy Jeff Nadeau, a.k.a. the big man on campus, for joining me in the second segment. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at unit one And let's make today a fun, successful, and profitable one. And I'll chat at you guys again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.